Hello to everybody who is listening and thank you for joining another episode of The Plumped Serpent with me, Isabel Bloom, and my guest today, Melina Watts. Welcome, Melina, and thank you very much for joining me and that you have, have, <laughs> have, have a little time for me to, to share your insights. Well, I'm really happy to be here. I've been reading you every day on LinkedIn and your your illustrations about how you think about nature inspire me every single one of them. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Melina, for our listeners, what are you doing and how are you connected with nature? Well, that's a I think there's multiple layers to that question. Um, <laughs> um, how I'm connected to nature, I think, um, Again, I really identify with something I've heard you talk about that people talk about it's silent in nature, but you hear an orchestra. I know that when I go outside and I take a walk, I feel emotionally connected to uh, plants, animals, the dirt, the landscape, the sky, the water. It's very emotional. And I feel like if I allow that to be as real and powerful as it is for me, it informs the choices I make in my life. So I've been very blessed that I've ended up with a career as a watershed coordinator. So I work for Los Angeles County, uh, trying to help uh, increase local water supply, which actually helps with climate change because uh, about a third of our energy in California goes to transporting water from Northern California to Southern California. So if we solve water in Southern California, we're helping solve energy, right? Um, it's also working on water quality and they're calling it nature-based solutions, but I would call it conservation projects like restoration projects, right? So that's my professional life, but I think uh, I'm really grateful to Hollywood for the idea of the hyphenate because it makes it okay to have more than one mission at a time. And I think a lot of us do. And so my, my other part of my life besides being a parent, um, I wrote a book, which is called Tree. And it's a novel and it's 229 years from the life of the life history of a California live oak from the point of view of the tree. So the tree is the narrator. And I believe it's the first and only book where the actual main character of the book is a plant. And uh, it's, uh, I used my passion for ecological history, which looks at how uh, different cultural values basically uh, radically transform how a, 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 an ecosystem functions or doesn't function. And so you look at California over 229 years and the, the sort of dominant culture changes and therefore the, the landscape changes radically. So it's an emotional story, but it's also an opportunity to explore how we think we feel about resources impacts every other living species. Have you heard the bird? When you talked about your book, <laughs> that was amazing. You know, I, I found nature, it. nature responded instantly. Wow. And I like to film in my little porch at my apartment because you can hear the natural life around me. I'm really blessed. Uh, the place I live has a ton of trees. I'm, I'm looking at a gorgeous sycamore that towers above me. And we have some spectacular oaks here. And, you know, it makes me happy just to walk around the neighborhood and feel that these trees have survived the influx of all of us people. Trees, trees and nature in general is very resilient. And yes. yeah, I mean, your book, you, you, you sent me your book. Th thank you for that. I, I really, I feel really honored <laughs> because you, you also wrote a, a small signature and uh, I'm half through it. And um, 
you said that do you are a very emotional person and and in your book this this gets really obvious <laughs> because because you 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 write in such a in such a, a, a deep deep language in such a, a rich language um Actually, I have to look up words very often because I'm so sorry. I often your, wonder your language is so rich. So it's it's it, it's not only the story is rich, also your language is rich. So that, that is really nourishing also for the mind. But what what struck me most was I think two images you've used. One was, I mean, one sentence is just pure genius. It's grass became dear when when i when i when i read this sentence just you know when you have these moments when the light bulbs just go on and you uh, wow one sentence says everything <laughs> wow i was just this one sentence just blew me away and um the the other picture or the other scenery you described was when when uh, people pick the flowers to um, show their love for each other and 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 the flowers said yeah you know just that they, they can't they don't have this lucid way of 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 saying that they love each other and and this was another one like, wow yes yes because we humans are just so restricted in a way to express ourselves when we use language or we use our senses and yeah just this this picture of this flower and and, and this this interconnectedness and, and the way how it expresses itself the the love for every being <laughs> around them was just was just so amazing and uh, yeah it was just so fascinating how, how you describe that in, in, in just a few words, but it was so deep for me. Well, you know, the, the amazing thing about talking to people about the book yeah. is it, they, people will connect with certain experiences that are presented in the book mm. and then their own feelings about plants and nature up well. And I end up getting this sort of a delightful tidal wave of, of other people's emotions about nature and plants when they, mm -hmm. they talk about the book and it's very mutually emotionally engaging, right? And and um, everyone has their own uh, connection to, to plants and trees. And I, I think you and I have talked about this before, but at least in America, I'm often struck by how how much emphasis there is on, oh, I love animals. And what many people mean is, dogs and cats right yes and, and so, birds maybe <laughs> birds, right? but birds is more like as a voyeur right not as yes. you know what I mean it's like it's kind of like up over there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, not, not not so tangible yeah yeah and and mm. and then I'm really struck by um people I've I've met from First Nations communities in in America where uh the emotional glue that goes back and forth between uh, their culture and other species is much stickier, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. right? yes. So I was at an event where this woman told this fabulous story of, uh, she was from a community up in Northern California and they had a song to call the bears, right? 
And she was visiting San Diego and she was telling her children how, oh yeah, I met the Shumash. And they said, they can, they can call the dolphins. And her children said, well, can you call the dolphins? And she goes, I can't call the dolphins. And they said, well, try. And she said she felt really embarrassed because if it didn't work, then maybe she was, <laughs> and then it wasn't real. So mm -hmm. she said she put everything into her soul and she started singing the bear song out in the sand and it was cold, you know, October day. And she's singing the bear song and lo and behold, a few minutes later, a pot of dolphins showed up, right? And wow. I, I can't call the dolphins. I, I'm not magic, right? But, but I do think that um, there's so much more room in the world for feeling and connecting back and forth. And once you have that, once you do uh, start connecting with other species, uh, it changes your decision process. And so I guess, um, I think that when you look at the fact that, you know, we're looking at the sixth extinction um, and they call this age that we're living in, uh, the Anthropocene, by which, as you well know, uh, the concept is that uh, there's all these geological ages that we've been through over time. And this is the first time where human beings, anthro, anthro I don't know how to say that in Latin, but anthro. Yes, Anthropocene, yeah. yeah. Thank you for correcting me. Um, <laughs> This is the first time where we've had such a big impact that we've actually changed entire landscapes. We've changed the hydrology. We've literally left so much garbage impacting that it's going to create its own kind of rock formations over time. I mean, it's awful, right? So the Anthropocene is driving the sixth extinction. Well, how can we do something? How can we evolve as a culture, not evolve like Darwin evolved, but evolve as how we think and feel uh, into something that coexists with the with nature better. And I would argue that calling nature a resource is a mistake because that says it's there for us to harvest. Everything is a big giant farm for us to eat from. And I think we need to start thinking of every living being as, as having value of its own as a life. And once we start seeing all these lives matter and, and cherishing them and planning for them and around them in the same way that a good parent plans their life around their children's future and their, their grandchildren's future, right? Um, we'll change how we do business. We'll change how we have governments. We'll change how we think about building houses. Everything will change, but it starts with emotion. So it may seem, uh, the book may seem very lush and over the top, but uh, what I was trying to do is to put people into my emotional reality of as how I experience nature and let people experience what I think it's like to be a tree, what I think it's like for a grass and a tree to communicate back and forth. And if, if we can experience that with them, maybe it will change what we think about the life of an individual grass. Yes, it's... Um, emotions are a way to get in contact with yourself and also with your surroundings. So this is really a... a a very interesting um, way you you used in your book to uh, connect people with with nature yeah it, it is very intense but <laughs> when when i read the book it was very wow this uh, this is very human <laughs> i thought in in in, in the first uh, yeah this was just my first first idea because my my connection to nature is not not so very um human emotional it's 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 more it's it's more fluid it's it's yeah it's 
but but it's very interesting how how you how you describe these these beings and and how they are aware of themselves and and of the others so it is it is a very again i use this word a very deep deep book <laughs> a very touching yeah. touching book in a way and um as you said yeah the the anthropocene and and the biocene but again these are words um as you said maybe we we also use more stories because you you also spoke about uh, in, in indigenous cultures and how they how they perceive nature or, or, or the natural world and the interconnectedness with all beings and for them everything has a spirit everything is alive um and they also used a lot of stories and in, in well, your... actually, you know what i'll share with you is an insight yeah. that i have from writing this book yes i yes, did a lot please. of research you know and um a lot <laughs> and one of the things i did is i went and i asked um uh, friends who run Wish Toya, which is a, a Shumash foundation in Malibu, if if one of them could read the book and give me feedback. And they were all too busy. But when they finally realized, oh my gosh, she's going to print, we can't let this happen without like an intervention, you know? So they passed me off to um, a, sort of a friend of the foundation who's a Shumash professor who has asked that I not name this person's name because she's writing her own novel and her agent said, you can't, you can't have your stuff and anybody else's. But when she got the, the manuscript back to me, there's a lot of red ink. So it was very humbling. I had to make some big changes, but there was also a lot of stuff where she was like, right on, that's exactly right. You know, so it was, it was kind of, uh, it was humbling and, and uplifting at the same time. But one of the things that happened is when we were talking back and forth, I talked to her about this incredible experience I'd had with a field of grass, which I'll share with you if you want to know. That was very emotional when I was like 18 or 19. It was like a mystical experience. And I was talking about how, I was afraid my career as a serious person, as a watershed coordinator and environmental worker would be undermined if I admitted that plants had talked to me. And her response was, what are you talking about? They talked to all of us. By us, she meant the tribe, right? And I was like, wow, okay, great. And it, I feel like she and, and the Shumash leadership gave me this enormous gift of, of saying, no, no, it's okay to, to tell your truth because it's our truth, you know, and go, go ahead and tell your version, but we're, we're with you. <laughs> and um, that meant a lot. And, and the story that it took me along, literally, I didn't tell this story in public until the LA Times Book Festival in 2017, because I thought I'll never get hired in the environmental world again if I tell this story. But it turns out the most sober, uptight engineers and biologists that I know are like, wow, me too. And I'm like, really? So here's what happened to me. I was at UC San Diego, University of California, San Diego, right? My freshman year before I transferred up to UCLA. And um, I had gone to this little private school uh, in LA and literally every friend I had had gone to school on the East Coast. So I was feeling very isolated and lonely, still sort of parked in California while everyone else had gone, you know, and, and I was having you know, people talk about your first year of college, like it's supposed to be the best times of your life and you'll make so many friends and you'll learn so much, it'll be amazing. And I experienced it as crushingly, agonizingly lonely, like total isolation. I wasn't clicking with the teachers at the moment that much. I certainly, I had a very nice roommate, but she was gone for the weekend. Um, 
and so I just kind of couldn't take it anymore. And I was, I think I was really dealing with depression and suicidal ideation. And I walked back to my dorm on a Friday night and um, everybody else was, there's music playing and people are going to parties or dates, dressed up for dates. And I'm like, I have no one, I have nothing. I don't even know if I could keep going. And I just couldn't face going back into my room. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling that like going inside would be the last straw. So I just, and it's, you know, it's, it's California. So it's, even though it's the fall, it's still lovely. So I lay down in the grass and the sun started to set and I just getting cold and, and, and feeling awful. And this one blade of grass in front of me kind of give a little spat of energy at me. I don't know how to explain it. It wasn't, mm -hmm. it, 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 I'm going to use the word light. It wasn't light, but it felt like light sparkling into my heart. And I was so startled. I was like, oh my goodness. And it kind of did it again. And I was like, hi, like, what do you say back? Right. And I could feel it emoting at the two grasses next to it saying, oh, we have this human, this animal on us that's not doing okay. Say hello. And so the next two pieces of grass kind of sparked at me. And I, I was like, wow. And then it went from grass to grass to grass until it was like, you know, watching two people light two candles and then the next two and the next two. Suddenly the whole entire quadrant of grass all at the same time was pouring love into me. And I've never felt so loved or cherished in my life. It was, it was the most extraordinary emotional experience and, and and you again you've talked about nature being an orchestra it was like this whole orchestra of tiny little living beings playing music for me and i don't know what i did to deserve it i i can i can't even barely talk about it it was just it was magic and i lay there and i i radiated everything i had back because i wanted to share right and, and receive and give until finally I was so cold I couldn't feel my fingers and toes and I got, got up and went to bed. I, I think hours passed, but the, the book tree was written for that field of grass because it, it loved me when I needed love and I want to love back, right? And that's kind of driven my whole environmental career is that emotion. And I wrote about a tree as the main character because I've had sort of similar experiences in, in um, with the large trees that are in a fire right now with the, the big redwoods and also all my life with California live oaks and California valley oaks have been my especially live oaks have been my special emotional connection like they're my favorite and I'm their favorite I think <laughs> and so I felt that for people who haven't had grass talking to them a lot of people have kind of felt close to trees and felt like they were talking at a tree and maybe the tree was emoting back. And I felt like that was an easy access into the world of plants. Mm -hmm. And so I, I tried to, to think about all my time hiking and have the different species of, this is how a sage sounds and feels to me. This is how a lupin sounds and feels. To me. So I tried not to be uh, anthropomorphizing, but rather to be us plant, plant morphizing, if you will, that I wanted us to try to feel what they feel, not for me to say what it would be like to be a plant, but to try to imagine and feel their world from their perspective. And, and of course, you can only go so far. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I did what I could. And uh, again, I have people in when I talk to them, start talking to me about their plants. And I'm like, I think we're on to something here. And I think it's, I think it's, I think, admitting that we love plants and bugs and, and and animals and that, that we think they love us back. I think that's the way out of the Anthropocene and into the Biocene is to stop talking about 
people and, and different nations and different languages and all of our interior stuff and start saying, we're part of this enormous community of living beings and we all matter and we all care for one another. And we do have to eat plants and we do have to eat, uh, most of us eat animals. And so how do we do that in a loving way? So that was, that was your deer, grass and deer quote idea. Yeah, I mean, this, this was very, I mean, just one sentence, but it says, I mean, it says, for me, it says everything. Um, really this, this, yeah, we, we, we are all made of, made up of the same things. So, I, I mean, you, you can, you can explain it scientifically, whatever, <laughs> but when, when you're outdoors, you, and you really are, you open yourself up you you just receive that you it's 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 just there and and your book is so valuable because people are getting aware that that this connection is is already there that that it's just natural and and you don't have to do anything it's just happening all the time and um Maybe you just have to be aware of it and 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 open yourself up consciously to it. And as you said, trees are such wonderful beings to do that because they they just stand there and they don't harm you in any way. Okay, when a when a thick branch is falling down or something like that. That's anyway, pretty but, rare. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, but. Trees have this kind of, of ma magic, magic, um, this kind of, of mag magnetism. Yeah, magnetism. Just they, they attract you in a way. And, and yes. a, lo a, lot, a lot of people feel that. Yes. And, um, and maybe it's also because people have this kind of nourishing, nourishing aspect that we also we really use because i mean we we eat apples or we eat pears or whatever and or nuts we are just connected with with the tree in, in in a natural way and we just see them as a kind of companions so so yeah the the the, the relationship is very very uh, very natural in a way yes yeah. yes yeah and one of the things that's struck me while we were talking is I see the the Buddhist image behind you up above you. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not a Buddhist, but I I when I saw this this picture, I I instantly fell in love with the color. Just yes, wow, this color, yeah, come to me, <laughs> I, I embrace you. <laughs> well, since yeah. you're a tree person, I think to me one of the intriguing things about Buddhism is you know after he left um, his family because and kind of had a nervous breakdown because he'd been introduced to death, sickness, poverty, yes. and illness all the same day for the first time ever. Yes. Um, he tried you know to find guidance from all these human people that were geniuses out living in the forest teaching mm -hmm. and none of them could click with him until he sat under a tree for you know 40 days and 40 nights, I think maybe it was 30. Um, but I think that emotional really uh, the emotional feeling that we get from trees drives a lot of the things that make buddhism beautiful and appealing and in particular i do think that um the buddha opened himself up to uh feeling the community of all living beings by that act of sitting there for that long and, and watching the forest come and go and feeling the tree 
um, cycle through each day and each night and just slowing down and, and being receptive. And um, I'm someone who has a hard time slowing down. And so trees give me that gift of trying to move at their pace, which is very different, you know? Yeah, that, that kind of... Yeah, that kind of slow, slower. <laughs> that that's true. Yes, that's true. Yeah, they 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 share so many gifts with us, and uh, we just yeah, we just need to open ourselves up up to them. And sitting on the tree is very can be a very really a very magical uh, mm. experience. Just mm. just sitting there, and. Uh, in, in my in my experience for, for for a lot of people this is one of the hardest things because they they think they have to actually they have to do something they have to actively do something or they have to actively communicate with with plants or trees but the communication is happening anyway <laughs> you, you you don't you don't have to do but you just have to be yes you just need to be you just need yeah. to, and 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 yeah this, this is so essential and that's that's also one of the messages that that uh, that you spread with your book that the beingness that that all 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 these beings they 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 are they they oh. are they just live they they experience they yeah and they share and this is this is so so profound and a lot of humans have just forgotten that just to be it's harder to do if you're in an urban environment because yes it's hard yes. during COVID a lot of people inside the house honestly yes yeah and it's it's, it's much more difficult to uh have that experience yeah. right so it's kind of unnatural <laughs> yeah so even yeah. like a tiny little plant in your house can be like yes. a conduit to emotional connection yeah um, in the same way that people do with pets right mm. so i'm a i'm a big believer that uh even simple gardening can be an access to nature for people who who, who don't have that option and i also am a big advocate for environmental education for kids and i think that we as a society urban societies need to find ways to get kids on hikes once a month, like busing kids to, you know, the woods and having a safe, you know, hike led. Um, I used to do these nature walks where I was a docent uh, um, in my early thirties before I worked in the environment. And I would sometimes have people on my walks who had never been in the woods before, right? Mm. And so I once had a teenage boy, first walk in the woods ever. So this is really fun, but where are the hippos? And it was totally serious. And he's like, well, they show them on TV. And I had to explain that those were all the way in another continent in Africa. And that we didn't have hippos in Los Angeles County. Wow. And there were lots of wonderful things, but not hippos, right? And so that level of, of disconnect, right? And another time I took a woman and her, her, her little boy and she was a little heavy and she was terrified crossing the creek, which was, you know, very not deep with rocks you had to walk over so i you know got in and held her hands and helped her cross and she was so excited to cross the creek you would have thought she'd climb mount everest it was it was but she was terrified of falling and, and injuring herself mm -hmm. so we actually got her up this little cliff that was you know again like 
not very hard climbing, right? But it was a little, tiny little cliff to get up to look um, at this um, statue that was abandoned from a burnt house of, of, of the Virgin Mary that people get a kick out of seeing it out in the middle of the woods. And when she came back to the car, she was like shaking and teary. And I'm like, are you okay? And she said, this is the best day of my life. I've never done this. I never dreamed I could do this. I can't, she's like in her late thirties, early forties. She's, I can't wait to go call my mom and tell her that I did this. And to me, I'm like, wow, we can make this accessible to people. And when we do, they're gonna vote differently. They're gonna eat differently. They're gonna act differently because they're gonna realize all of those beautiful things that David Attenborough is showing us on TV, they're still there and they're there for you. You just have to like, you know, leave your little system. And it's a, to me, it's a, a social equity issue because a lot of times the people who, well, one, at one point I lived in Sacramento for a year and my kids and I uh, were homesick for, we're, we're coastal people, we're homesick. So we, we drove up to see the ocean and come back. And when we, she came right back to school, my child told the fourth graders what they'd done that weekend. And some of the kids, a number of the kids, about a third of the kids in the class had never seen the ocean. And Sacramento is only two hours by car. Wow. From the ocean. And, and so, you know, maybe this book is a conduit into that, but also like, I think we, we owe it to think about how do we, how do we build this into our school system? I think it should be part of the public schools. And, and I think maybe other countries do it better than we do here. Um, and certainly the state of Washington, Governor Jay Inslee, which is up on the West Coast, right? Mm -hmm. um, he was one of the guys who ran for the president. And uh, he was the only one who was coming out all guns blazing in favor of tackling climate change, right? And he, he didn't win because he didn't have that kind of, I love him. So I hope if he's watching this for some weird reason that he doesn't get his feelings hurt, but he didn't have that sort of out of scale, charismatic public speaking thing going on. And I'm like, does it matter if you're a public speaker? If you're gonna tackle climate change, you're my guy, right? But, you know, Biden knew how to present and that's what won. But the point is, Governor Inslee, I digressed, um, has a climate change education program, K through 12. Every kid in the state of Washington is getting climate education and they're getting environmental education. And I'm like, what he said should be spread everywhere, I think. It's the way forward. Yeah. I mean, just it's just natural when when kids are are surrounded by nature. I mean, yeah, a lot of countries do that. And when when I talked with my mom, for example, she's now eighty years old, and and in in her generation, it was just it was just normal to have a school garden, and they they went every day in the garden, and they learned how to garden and 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 how to grow food, how to harvest food and so forth. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of countries who, who do, do a lot of- Do you still have that? In, in Switzerland, yeah, we have school gardens, but it's it's it, it's dependent on, on the school if they do it or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we learn a lot about nature and we go outdoors and we have a lot of uh, uh, forest schools and also forest kindergartens and-, and Children, children are outside all day long when it's raining or or sun is shining or whatever they just put the adequate clothes on and that's no problem <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean also in my personal experience i i i was once teaching children and was an environmental teacher and um 
the connection was so natural for the children just was there I, I i didn't have to 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 push them that they just had empathy for animals or the ocean or whatever it was just there um and when we talked it was for, for them it was a kind of crazy what, what we're doing actually we were talking about litter and 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 that we throw things just away when when we walk and they didn't understand that <laughs> just said well, well, what are these people thinking i mean the animals are eating this this plastic and they die and and they don't feel well why are we doing that it was just natural for them that you know they they didn't get the get the idea why, why, why we do that so yeah as you said it, it would be, I think it would be quite different when this would be a fundamental part of the curriculum I, I think you call it in in school the yeah. curriculum yeah 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 this this is this is fundamental this is really fundamental yes but there's a disconnect between the children you're teaching and the yes. grown-ups we have. And what's really interesting to me about Greta yeah. Thunberg is she started off, I don't know how old she was on her first climate change day, maybe 14, I think, something, but pretty young enough to still have some roots in childhood. And she expressed very clearly the what the heck are you doing that you were just describing, right? And you know, I I I think she's carrying that to adulthood, and maybe that will help, you know, you know her and others who are working with her do better work but I feel like a lot of people start off with an intuitive connection with nature and then there's a disconnect somewhere along the way so how do you arch that through so that we're still driven by it in a pure powerful way as adults and mm. you know I think that's why I wrote this book for grown-ups and not for little kids as mm. I wanted to reach grown-ups in a in a right in the chest right in the heart and say yours this is still real for you this is still real you know hopefully yeah as, as you said you you you've touched people uh, also in their personal experiences as as you as you told me for example about uh, about losing someone or losing losing uh, a friend or, or whatever just this this feeling of grief i think they 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 were dealing with that when they when they wrote the, when they uh, read the book right yes yes um and and you know, one of the things I tree lives for, the, the tree in this book happens to live for 229 years, um, but oaks can live for hundreds more years than that yes. potentially. And if the tree is going to interrelate with all the other species with which it coexists, which I believe trees do, they have to process grief and still find joy. And I feel like that's fundamental to happiness and survival of the species as human beings or any other species like you have to you have to acknowledge that you're sad and that yet still find your way to enjoy you know the sunlight right and i i, I love this word from sanskrit ananda and ananda was translated uh um as uh, uh by madeline longel who wrote the wrinkle in time book she says ananda is the joy without which the universe would cease to exist and I love the idea that if there isn't joy, the universe will stop. And you know, that's that that can that can make a lot of things that we do that don't make sense make sense. Like, why do we have music? Why? It's not it's not evolutionarily necessary, is it? But maybe it is. 
you know, maybe Yo-Yo Ma is keeping the world going. Yeah, I mean, or, yeah. Or whoever, your, whoever your favorite rock star is. I mean, I don't mean to be uh, uh, only harping on him, but um, I have a yeah. soft spot for cellos, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, everything is is music. You you hear music, yeah. When you're outdoors, you just hear so many things. <laughs> When you were open to it, yes. I wanted to ask you a question, which is always interesting when I have the privilege of talking to someone from the other side of the world, which is my theory is as yet unproven that every culture I end up bumping up against has uh, some deep primal connection to trees that shows up in their folklore or in their religious expression. And I'm wondering if that resonates with you at all in terms of uh, your experience of, of Switzerland? Ooh, that's, that's difficult because I'm not so much connected to Switzerland. <laughs> I was just born there, <laughs> but I, I, don't have, I don't have any connection to, to our culture uh, because we, we, yeah, maybe, maybe in, the, in, the, in the inner parts of Switzerland, they, they have a very direct connection to, to, to culture, to, to Swiss culture, but it, it's not just one way of Swiss culture. So that's, that's hard to describe. But I mean, when, when you go, go back in time um, mm. to the Celts or whatever, I mean, in this period, the, the, the trees were, were such a... And they played such an important role. I mean, they they were kind of they provided places where where um, how is the English word um, when people discuss matters uh, to solve in society and and you need a kind of judge. How is how is the word tri trial or 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 like yeah. an open space for public gatherings. Yes, a kind of open open space for for solving community problems. So yeah, so to speak. And for example, oaks were so important. They they played so such an important role, and they were they were actually um, what is this English word again? <laughs> um, like kind of saints you know yes, um, yes exactly what is the adjective of, of like the spirit of the oak was the the like a, like a demigod or a god yeah it was what does yeah it was seen yeah. like like yeah like a deity in in yes. yeah, yeah yeah um there's a wonderful word in japanese yes. kami, kami which means yes. spirit yes kami and yeah I, that, yes yeah and yes. that's i find really interesting it also means paper Yes, yes, yeah, it's interesting. Wood, yeah, 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 all, yeah, all, all interconnected, yeah. Yeah, so, so, yeah, Switzerland is very connected to the mountains, so, so, I mean, mountain spirits and um, also the grass plays an important role because cows eat the grass and <laughs> there are a lot of cows in Switzerland, so, yeah, they're, they're just certain certain beings in nature that that play an important role, mm. but it's not 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 in the not in the way 
indigenous people see it like eh, the spirit is is everywhere or, the, or every being has a spirit it's just it's more mm, pointed yeah it's just yeah well, more, I, more, I more with the rise of christianity in europe again yeah American perspective. Yes. Looking at European history, but not being really part of it. Yeah. It looked to me like you had this, you know, multiple complex pagan religions yeah, yeah, that yeah. were very um, nature-based. Yes. And when Christianity came, a lot of that got like um, shoved aside or stepped on or pushed down. Or It, then... it was brutally, brutally uh, wiped out. Yeah. So <laughs> So forgotten, oppressed, yes. and turned aside, and maybe some yes. of that got pushed into like, you know, uh, witchcraft or something. I don't know, but but you know, yeah. it was a, it was an unwanted divorce. Yes, I think. and it was and so, forced. <laughs> so yes. so then you have the to me when you look at um, the the monotheistic religions, um, sometimes they become very focused on you know God and people and that relationship and yes. as a result um all of creation becomes like a stage that people are set on for their use and it's very disconnecting and it makes for bad uh decisions about you know how we how what we can take and what we cannot take because some people start thinking they can take everything and that's when you have like you know mountains that are leveled or forests that are clear cut because that concept of it's there for this person who owns it as opposed to it has a right to exist and what is an appropriate amount for us to to take um so again i think i think reconnecting people to and and, and throughout western history there have been individuals who re-fell in love with nature you know you look at um uh francis saint assist uh, i can't talk saint francis and um his feelings about animals i think he he was there, you know, yes. um, um, and certainly Peter Wallabine is way ahead of me for understanding forests and trees. So it comes back. Yes, it comes, it comes, back. It comes back. Yeah, yeah, the wave is coming back. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, your, your book is really a gift. It's, well, really, thank you. it's really wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm looking forward for the for the for the second half. What what character is essential right now? Where are you? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, have you hit that on shadows yet? Have the Spanish showed up? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Yes, so you know my, yes. my okay. Yeah. So you're right. You're right in the middle of it. Then, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanted to share something with you as an artist, which is uh, on the cover. Yes. See it very well, but yeah, uh, I see. Uh, the the cover was by a painter named Jeff Soika, S O J K A, mm -hmm. and I saw the painting in a gallery when I was halfway through writing the book, mm. and I thought, oh, if I could ever get my book published, that's what I want for my cover. So the day that I reached out to him and said, can I purchase the rights to use, you know, for the the novel, and he said yes in like a very like twenty minutes, I got an email back probably one of the happiest moments of my life because I felt like um Soika's art and you you might want to go look at his website uh, it's all uh, it's, it's he does some European things as well 
but most of it is based in California and people who are from here are like, oh, I've been there, I've been there, I've been there, mm -hmm. like you know, the very, very place focused. But the way he paints plants, I can't talk today, the way he paints his plants, they're often suffused with light in a way that you can feel their life force energizing mm -hmm. the painting. Mm -hmm. And I looked at this and I'm like, oh my gosh, the way he painted that oak, that's how I feel about trees. Like mm. this is really magical. Like I saw the painting, like, that's what I mean. That's, that's how I feel. Right. And, um, he's, he's had a lot of fun, uh, with the book since it came out because he shares it with, with, uh, his collectors mm. sometimes and, and like, oh, well, she's talking about what you're saying, you know, or what you're, you're doing. So it's, it's, Kind of fun. Um, I don't Perfect know. If you want, right? It was. It was. It's amazing. Yes. Um, I don't know if you want me to read anything. I'm open to that. But if you feel like you are um, whole with our conversation, I'm whole yes. also. Yes, so. it's good. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you have some some last words to share. And and where can people uh, get in touch with you? Or where can they uh, get your book? Um. You can always get it uh, from Amazon and now Bookshop, which I think is a, a more, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, more thoughtful about how they treat their workers a little bit. Um, and then uh, there's a website with a publisher, which is changetheworld-books.com. So that's changetheworld-books.com. And, um, you know, I think uh, the, 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 there's also... Um, uh, a woman in 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 uh, England who sells it, and her organization is called Ancient Trees, and I think the shipping is a better deal from England. Um, if Amazon gets enough requests from Switzerland and elsewhere, they'll ship from from Switzerland and elsewhere. I know um, when I was in a, a newsletter out of Australia, they they sent like a bunch of books to Australia to, to ship out. So that is the blessing of Amazon is they're they're super they're super um, international, and yeah, I want to unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, right. They are, um, the book is on Kindle, so you can get it electronically. There's that. And um, I'm very uh, proud to share with uh, viewers that the book is printed on 100% recycled paper because I felt that uh, when we, the publisher and I felt that you can't print a book about a tree unless you <laughs> are thinking about where you got that from. So, um, very thoughtful. Yes. I guess if you want to ask me what I would like to share with, with viewers, uh, Many of you are probably already with me on this, but if you're first thinking about, you know, plants on an emotional level like this, start looking at what are the plants that used to grow historically in your community? What are the plants that, you know, want to live where you live? And if you choose, we call them in, in English native plants, right? If you choose plants that are sourced from plants near your area, like a park near your city, uh, a, you know, open space near your city. If you, if you take an acorn from a tree near there, you're sourcing the genetic material that wants to grow where you live. And if you grow those trees in your yard or even in your porch, like I'm doing here, um, you are restoring the ecosystems that we have been destroying on the planet. And every other species that's alive on the terrestrial earth needs plants first. So if we start with native plants, everything else has a chance to thrive. So go plant an acorn. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> and the native plants are more resilient also. <laughs> so. True. And they're more, they're more adjusted to whatever hydrological yes. you have. 
So if you're experiencing drought, you have a better shot if you're planning your own local ecosystem. Yes, plants. that's so. true. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, wow. Uh, thank you very much for this very nourishing talk and uh, very, very um, also kind of emotional talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for being so accessible. And I'm so impressed at your ability to totally connect with a book in English when I know that's not your first language. Like <laughs> it's so brilliant to, 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 to be able to shine so brightly with, with me like this. Um, I'm very impressed with, with your mind and your work. It's Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate the work too. And you being also oh, thank you. very much. Well, here's hoping I pass across soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on the Plumped Serpent Podcast. When you liked this show, you can leave a message on our anchor site, share this podcast or simply tell a friend about it. You might also want to check out my website plumpedserpent.net where I offer you inspirations and possibilities to root deeper in yourself and nature. And I appreciate when you tune in next week for our next episode. May the magic of the plumped serpent be with you.